The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. The word of God speaks to us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is God's word to us. Amen. Hey guys, good morning. How are we doing? All right. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to need a little help today. It's, uh, it's really good to see everybody. Thanks for being here today. If we haven't met, my name is Josh Curry and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, before we dive into our text... I just want to pause for a moment and name something that's happening this week that's really dear to the heart of our church. Uh, My wife and I planted Frontline in 2005, and really early on, I think God captured us with his love for not just this church, but the church. And one of the things that we wanted to be a part of early on in the life of Frontline was blessing, loving, and serving other churches and pastors. We want to plant churches, we want to strengthen churches, and we want to be an encouragement. We want to learn from other churches, and we want to see pastors who tragically, in this cultural moment, tend to get isolated. We want to see pastors get connected to cultivate spiritual friendship and partnership in the gospel. So this week, to that end, we're hosting some of our dearest friends from all over the world, um, the lead pastors of the churches that we've planted, all of our congregational leads, and then some churches that we do really deep partnership with. They're going to join us on uh, Wednesday and Thursday for a time of just being strengthened together in the presence of God. And uh, we already have some of my best friends. These, these are some of my buddies from the Cornerstone Collection of Churches and the Cornerstone Collective is a family of churches in Liverpool, and to have Steve Robinson and all you guys here is such an honor. Will you guys stand so we can just thank God for you? These guys came all the way from the UK. We love you guys so much. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, I got a little nervous that they were going to be the most vocal people in response to uh, me asking how you guys were doing, and that's never a good sign if the British guys are the ones that are loud. So thank you guys for not embarrassing me in front of my friends. Um, Thank you guys for being here. And what we want to do is just take a second and just pray for this week together. And I'd actually ask you to get under the burden of this in prayer all week long. Um, We're not just asking for God to let this be a nice time that we can manage. We don't want this to just be a transfer of information or best practices. Um, My faith and my expectation is that the living God would move that he would shape these men, that he would fill pastors up with fresh courage and godly ambition, that pastors that are coming in weary would be strengthened, that revival and renewal and reformation that the church so badly needs might get sparked as we get together and open God's word and pray and fast and feast. So will you guys join with me in prayer? I wanna pray for these friends in particular and all the pastors that are gonna show up. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your church. 
We thank you that Jesus is the head of your church. We thank you that he promised that he would build his church and that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against her. Father, I don't know what the full spectrum is as men prepare to show up this week. Um, Men in the midst of discouragement, men that might feel lonely and overwhelmed, and men that are experiencing renewal in their churches. I pray, God, that wherever they bring, you would meet them. God, we pray that you would form eternal bonds of friendship and brotherhood. We pray for fresh vision and courage, Lord, in the midst of this crazy cultural moment where we can so easily get overwhelmed by the darkness. We pray that we would actually be captured with the light of Jesus. So Lord, meet us and feed us. And um, now as we open your word, would you come and teach us? Teach us, Lord. Teach Teach our minds, but teach our hearts. Teach our hearts to long for you, to love you, to desire to know you more deeply. God, even as we talk about spiritual gifts, knowing that we're from all kinds of different backgrounds in the room and different experiences, I pray, Lord, that we would all together in unity walk out of this building with an earnest desire to know more of your presence. We thank you that you're here. We don't have to get you to be here. You're here but we ask that your manifest presence would be increased among us. So help us today. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. If you got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the last several months, we've been walking through the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. And today we get to the most comprehensive section in the Bible on spiritual gifts. And when I think about spiritual gifts and the way that gifts tend to either be obsessed about or neglected in the local church, uh, I think of one of my deepest regrets as a man. I don't have a ton of regrets, but I got a few. And one of my big regrets is that I got my dream car when I was 17 years old. That never goes well for 17-year-olds. I found a 1978 International Scout II, one owner, garage kept, that had 70,000 miles. That's not my Scout, but that's the same model. My Scout was even more glorious than this one. My, my Scout was hunter green with a tan stripe, bench seats, a huge V8. When you step on the gas, the front end of that Scout would come off the ground like a motorboat. It was amazing. I loved it. And I got that scout, and uh, a few months after I got it, we got an Oklahoma ice storm. And I thought, you know what would be super fun? To go get crazy on Oklahoma ice in my amazing 4x4 truck. So I I called a buddy who was always down to ride, and I said, hey, man, let's go get into trouble. I picked him up at his house, and about 30 minutes into doing donuts and other stupid things, I did the 17-year-old equivalent of hold my beer, and I looked at my buddy and said, watch this. Watch this famous last words. We ended up on the side of the road. My scout was totaled. And my buddy, who of course wasn't wearing a seatbelt, ended up in my lap. Now, I tell you that story because when it comes to spiritual gifts, what happens in the church again and again and again is we wreck on one side of the road or the other. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what side of the road you wreck on. If you wreck, you're wrecked. And with spiritual gifts, we have a propensity in the church to either obsess about gifts, to elevate gifts to such a place of prominence where they start to eclipse the glory of the giver. 
And we start to think that the point of the Christian life are the gifts. And we start to even get prideful about the gifts. And we start to project our gifts onto others. And we judge them because they haven't been gifted the same way that we are. We miss, we miss that the gifts are not the end all be all. The gifts are given to glorify Jesus and build each other up in love. The other side of the road that we have a tendency to reckon is to see abuses in the church, to see extreme cases of crazy churches and crazy pastors that are operating the gifts in ways that aren't biblical. And we react and we say, we're not going to allow that to happen. And we close off our hearts and we get cynical and we get cold and we even try to build theological frameworks to justify disobedience. Disobedience in not seeking God and not receiving the gifts of God. And what I want to say today is that the problem is never in the gifts. The gifts of God are beautiful and they're good and they glorify Jesus and they help us to serve one another. The problem is, like me as a 17-year-old driving a car that was way too much car for me, we struggle with ignorance and unbelief. So for the next eight weeks, as we walk through chapters 12 through 14, I'm asking God to do really big things in our church. I'm asking him to expand our capacity to love, to love, to love God, to love each other. I'm asking him to expand our capacity to risk. There's places where you and me are playing it safe and Jesus wants us to follow him into faith into faith, into courageous action in the church and courageous action in the world. There are places in your life where gifts have been neglected. And I'm praying for the next eight weeks that the spirit of God would help you fan into flame gifts that you've neglected. There's places where we've been hiding. We've been hiding as consumers and spectators. And my prayer is that even today you would be captured with God's vision for your participation in the building up of his body. So today, as we open God's word, Paul begins with something that's foundational if we're going to understand gifts. He starts with the core of true spirituality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit of background so that you can understand what Paul's doing here. The Corinthians had all kinds of competing spiritualities that were trying to push the gospel out of the center of the church. We've already seen that the Corinthians were surrounded by Greek philosophy, the dualism of separating spirit and body. We've already seen that they had an over-realized eschatology. Um, that's a really big word that just relates to our understanding of end or last things, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the body, final judgment. And what probably had happened in the Corinthian church is that with their over-realized eschatology and with the vein of pride that ran through their church, the Christians in Corinth that had the gift of tongues, it seems that they started to think that that was yet another evidence that the fullness of God's kingdom had arrived and there was nothing yet for us to wait on. They probably thought, well, hey, man, not only do our bodies not matter because the fullness of God's kingdom is here and we're spiritual and we can, we can not have sex in the context of marriage and we can have sex outside of the context of marriage. 
They also started to believe that the truly spiritual Christians, the ones that were elite, were the ones that had the gift of tongues, and they probably saw that as speaking in heavenly languages, the language of angels. So they were puffed up with pride, and they started to believe in the city of Corinth, among these Christians, that the elite Christians, the truly spiritual Christians, were the ones that had had particular demonstrative spiritual experiences, especially those that spoke in tongues. And Paul wants to be really clear that true spirituality, true spirituality is about knowing, loving, and following Jesus. The heartbeat of true spirituality is found in the earliest and most fundamental of all Christian creeds, three words, Jesus is Lord. To be truly spiritual, to be truly spiritual is to have the spirit of God awaken your heart to the glory of Jesus Christ and to enable you to move away from prideful spirituality to the humble decentering of self and the centering of Jesus as the core of your life. Jesus is Lord. He's God. He's God. He's Savior. He's King of Kings, and He's Lord of Lords. Now, this is really important because things haven't really changed that much. Both inside of the church and outside of the church, there's all kinds of competing designer spiritualities that we're tempted to believe. There is man-centered, works-based religion spirituality, which always feeds human pride. It tells you that we earn God's love. We earn his favor through ritual. It tells us that we're more moral than other people. We're superior to those that don't love God. We've found the way because we're good people. There's the designer spirituality that takes a pinch of Christianity and a pinch of Eastern mysticism and a pinch of whatever else you want to add. It throws it in the pot and it claims in pride, well, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious which puts you in the driver's seat to build whatever you want to build. If you want to construct a Franken-Jesus made out of parts from various world religions, do your thing. There's the spirituality of identity politics in the United States that has religious fervor connected to it. Both wokeism and anti-wokeism, those are religions today. Both of them lead to pride. They lead to pride. And St. Augustine was right when he said that pride is the mother of all sin. Pride is the most fundamental dynamic of human fallenness. And all spiritualities that are counterfeit lead to the elevation of pride. And it's only, it's only the true spirituality of confessing Jesus as Lord that decenters self and centers Jesus. And what Paul is saying that I love, it's so important, is that it's impossible to know, love, follow, and obey Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And a truly spirit-filled church and a truly spirit-filled person is one that will increasingly know, love, follow, and obey Jesus. Can I get an amen? True spirituality is found in him. Gordon Fee was a charismatic theologian. He wrote a commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians that has some really helpful bits. Here's what he says. The presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and the gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criteria for the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. 
Whatever takes away from that, even if it be legitimate expressions of the spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. Hey friends, I want God to make us a spirit-filled church. And as he grows our capacity to love the Holy Spirit, to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, to stay in the middle of the road, not by being 50% Bible people and 50% spirit people, but by being 100% Bible people and 100% spirit people, you know what's going to happen? We'll see more manifestations of the Spirit indeed, and we want that. But the core thing that we'll see is a love for Jesus and a deeper devotion to Jesus grow in the life of our church. True spirituality, true spirituality is summed up in that confession. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. But tragically, a lot of pastors and a lot of churches stop right there. They say, well, true spirituality is Jesus is Lord and spiritual gifts just lead to excesses and confusion and division. So they just gloss over everything else that Paul's about to say. What I want you to see is that on the foundation of that confession, Jesus is Lord, built on the reality of true spirituality, what Paul wants to aim at is a church that has a deeper understanding and a deeper experience of God, the Holy Spirit, his ministry, his gifts, his presence, and his work. And in fact, Paul sees a deeper experience and longing for the spirit as deeply connected to the body being built up in maturity so that we can love each other in a way that reflects the glory of Jesus. On the foundation of the church's most ancient and fundamental confession, Paul wants to see eager expectation of the gifts, not open but cautious, not open but cautious. Open but cautious is a way, in my opinion, to avoid obeying the clear, the clear command of scripture to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He wants us to be hungry and expectant to steward the gifts, to operate in the gifts in ways that are biblical and that grow us to more deeply love Jesus. So what he's going to give us in these first seven verses are four fundamentals that we're going to need for the rest of our study on spiritual gifts. These are four fundamentals that are really important, and I hope they help you as you think about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to give you all four. Here we go. Number one, the first thing that Paul's going to mention is that spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's what Paul is getting at. The gifts of the Spirit are not abstract things or powers external to the Holy Spirit. It's easy to think of spiritual gifts as almost like Christian fairy dust. And God the Holy Spirit throws a little bit of this on you, and he throws a little bit of this on me, and we receive these gifts as things external to and separate from the workings of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is pointing out here that's game-changing is that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power in the midst of the church. Here's how Dr. Sam Storms put it in his really helpful little book, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. He says, this is Paul's way of saying that the spirit is himself made manifest or visibly evident in our midst whenever the gifts are in use. 
Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression in the way we do ministry. Gifts are God going public among his people. And listen, friends, what this city needs, what you need, what I need, is the presence of the living God. We need God. And in the midst of the darkness of our cultural moment, one of the great things I love about it, in the midst of the horror stories about collapsing institutions and all of the ways in which the church seems in the West to be on the decline, what I'm thankful for in the midst of that is it's a sober reminder that what people are desperate for is not our witty philosophy or our ability to whip up programs that the world needs. What people need at a fundamental level is the presence of the living God. We need God. We need God. Now, this means if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit, it means there is a sense in which, and I want to be really careful here because I don't want to elevate charismatic pride or be disrespectful of our cessationist brothers and sisters, but there's a sense in which to resist the gifts, to avoid the gifts, is, in essence, a way of resisting God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that secessionists are doing that intentionally. My secessionist friends love Jesus and they love his word. But if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the spirit himself going public in the life of the church, to miss the gifts is a way in which we can potentially resist or quench or grieve God the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to name two tensions that I think are really important here. Two tensions. The first, t- the first point of tension is... We don't have to do anything to get the Holy Spirit to show up. Can can I get an amen? Like, hey, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that means God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And we have been told by Jesus, we've been promised from Jesus that when we gather together in his name, he is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. There's this moment in the Old Testament where the prophets of Baal gather together and they're trying to conjure the presence of Baal. And it's this tragic scene where they're just going crazy. They're dancing and chanting. They're cutting themselves with swords and piercing themselves with spears, trying to get their false God to show up. Okay, listen, sometimes in charismatic churches, it feels almost as if we're having to sort of work ourselves up into an emotional frenzy, trying to get God to show up. And I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, you don't have to do anything to get God to show up. God is with you and in you tomorrow morning as you go to work. He's with us as we gather. He's here all the time. That's the first point of tension. But listen, the other point of tension is we should be hungry for more manifestations of God's presence. To want more of God. Hey, listen, the same Christians that were filled by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost got another filling just a couple chapters later. And what we see in the Bible and what we see in the history of the church is that the Spirit of God can fill people afresh in ways that renew their love for Jesus, empower them for the work of ministry, and enable them to repent of sin and to carry out the mission of God. I was thinking today about the great awakening. What a crazy time to be alive. What an amazing time to be alive where the spirit of God was so moving. His manifest presence was so evident that people were repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus as they were walking to church. 
right? There, there's testimonies of like, at one point there was this little old lady raised in the church, total church lady, and she was so aware of the holiness of God and his presence in the gathered church that she ran to the front, elbowing people out of her way so that she could kneel down and repent. There's stories of people being so overwhelmed by the presence of God, by his love, his holiness, and his goodness, that there were people that said, hey, God, I need you to stop. I think you're going to kill me. Right? I want us to be the kind of people that have confidence as we gather and as we scatter that God is with us through the Holy Spirit. And, 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 I am hungry for more. I want to see more people meet Jesus. I want to get to minister in a time before I die. And I know I don't get to control this, but I can pray for it. I want to minister in a season of outpouring where people are coming to faith in our parking lot. I want to see more people healed. I want to see, I want to see devotion in our church be elevated. I want to see more hunger and thirst. I want God to break the back of that really weird thing that can happen in this part of the world where church becomes a stupid hobby. This is a dumb hobby. Dumb hobby. I want us, I want us to be the kind of people that are not satisfied, that are not satisfied with where we currently are, but we are content and trusting that God's at work. Right? Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Number two, quickly, spiritual gifts display God's beauty in both unity and diversity. Look at verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Variety of gifts, service, activities, same Spirit, same Lord, same God. This is a moment where Paul's pulling back the veil so that we get a glimpse of the unity and diversity of the Godhead. One God, not three, who's eternally existed in three persons. And God displays his beauty and his glory both in creation and in new creation through the wonder of unity and diversity. We see it in creation, that God doesn't create one star. He creates something like, something like 200 sextillion stars. That's 23 zeros. That God creates the huge. There are stars that are over 280,000 times the size of our sun. And there's, and there's the tiny. There's subatomic particles. He's the God that creates not one kind of beetle, but 400,000 species of beetle. All as part of one unified cosmos. The human propensity is towards factories and molds and cookie cutters and mass production. God is the God that creates snowflakes and fingerprints. And what we see in the church is that God's glory gets put on display in both unity and diversity. Diversity without unity, diversity without unity leads to isolation and pride and defacing the body. And unity without diversity leads to drab uniformity that looks more like a factory than a dynamic living organism. And what we see is that God's desire in the church is not that we would all be one giant grotesque ear, but that we would be joined together with different strengths and capacities and burdens and desires, and that we would find in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, a unified desire to maintain the unity that Jesus purchased. 
where all these gifts are needed. There's public gifts and private gifts and gifts that sometimes we think are more important and gifts that we sometimes think are less important, but God sovereignly distributes in unity and diversity all the gifts the church needs to be who she's called to be. This means it's absurd how often we fall into the traps of gift projection and gift envy. Gift projection is when we think everybody else should be gifted just like us. And gift envy is when we feel insecure and we want somebody else's spiritual gifts. And what I love, what I love in the Bible is this picture of the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 that describes the kind of church that I want us to be. It says that together, together, the prophets and the teachers were praying and fasting that God would move and advance his mission. Now, I don't know if you know anything about prophets and teachers, but they don't always jam together, right? Um, Prophetic people often think, well, the teachers are dry and doctrinaire and they're heady. And the teachers sometimes look at the prophetic people and they're like, those guys are weird and experiential and strange and they speak in pictures. But God in his wisdom put them both together and it became one of the most powerful missional churches in the entire New Testament because they were able to stand in the tension of unity and diversity. I want us to be that kind of church. Like, we, we see the importance of unity and diversity when it comes to age. Um, it's, it's not a win. And by the way, this is not a dig on the young people of our church. I, I love you so much. I got to uh, go with my wife to a community group full of 20-year-olds two weeks ago. And it was like my favorite thing I've done in the last quarter. It's amazing. But we all know, like, it's a blessing when our community groups are, are able to have both older people and younger people together. The younger people help bring life and energy to the older people, and the younger people need the older people. Like, there's nothing more of a train wreck, hot mess than having a bunch of people in their early 20s giving each other relationship advice. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't go well. It's like the collective wisdom is filling up a very small thimble. <laughs> we need both. But listen, we need both when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. People that, are, people that are gifted by God and are profoundly burdened for the work of the kingdom of God and justice and mercy can so easily just get together with other people that are burdened for justice and mercy. And before too long, what you have is just cynicism and criticism that the other Christians don't care. People that are passionate about teaching can get, get together in an enclave and they can study the book of James for 42 weeks and never visit anybody in prison. And what we need in the church, what we need in the church is this powerful thing where we receive the diversity of God's distribution of gifts and we maintain the unity of the spirit where we honor each other. We honor each other. Thirdly, Thirdly, spiritual gifts are for the common good. I don't need to labor this point, but it's so important. Look at verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Gifts aren't given for our identity. That's found in Jesus. Gifts are not given so that we can build platforms. No, no, we're about platforming Jesus. Gifts are not given so that we can have a brand. Gifts are not given for personal aggrandizement. Gifts are not given so that we can focus on ourselves. Gifts are given so that we can glorify Jesus by serving each other and building up the body for the common good. Gifts are not about you or me. They're about Jesus and his church. And spiritual gifts are about glorifying Jesus by serving others. And this leads to the last thing, number four. I want to close here. This feels 
incredibly timely for where we are as a church. Number four, all Christians are gifted. Look at verse seven again. To each, to each, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I want you to hear me. There are no no gift Christians and there are no every gift Christians. And one of the greatest blessings of the Protestant Reformation was the dismantling of a really unbiblical divide between the clergy and the laity that taught tacitly and sometimes explicitly that the truly gifted, truly spiritual people were those that were ordained ministers and everybody else was simply there to just spectate and receive. And one of the things that God restored in the Protestant Reformation was this understanding of the priesthood of the believer that all Christians are called to gospel ministry. All Christians are full-time ministers of the gospel, whatever your job is during the week. All Christians have been gifted and all Christians are called to use their gifts in the service of God's mission. There are no super Christians and there are no unimportant Christians. Bud Wilkinson, the great football coach, once said, I define football as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 22,000 fans in the stadium desperately needing exercise. (laughs) Sadly, that describes too much of the Western church. Too much of the Western church. We move so easily into spectator mode, so easily into consumer mode. And we can start to think, we can start to think wrongly that, well, we pay the pastors to do the ministry. No, 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 no. The job of ministers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this has been an amazing year in the history of our church. I mean, God has grown our church so much in the last year. It's such a blessing to get to meet new people. We've had people come to Jesus. We've had people return to the church after years of walking away. I mean, God has added literally hundreds of people to our downtown congregation in the last 12 months. And it's a huge blessing. But it also carries with it the perennial danger of the church moving from being a body to a crowd, a family to the exchange of spiritual goods and services. And what tends to happen is God adds new people to a church is there are more needs, there are more problems, there are not more people engaging, serving, using their gifts or giving. And I think what Paul is driving at, if we could summarize the two each one part of this passage is that every single Christian is called by God and empowered by God to take responsibility for what God wants to do in the local church, to take responsibility, to not be renters, but to be owners of God's mission. And one of the deep burdens I have as one of your pastors is for us to become the kind of church, to become the kind of church where every single member of our church takes responsibility for the spiritual dynamics, for the health, for the care of one another that God so wants to display his glory through in the life of our church. We need more older ladies doing the work of Titus II with younger ladies. We need more godly older men engaging, loving, and serving godly younger men. 
We need more people earnestly seeking God and trying to get to know who you are, not in some sort of weird existential nasal gazing, nasal gazing, but we need you to figure out who you are so that you can figure out how God's called and equipped you to serve. What are the burdens God's given you? What are the burdens, passions, desires, talents, and spiritual gifts that God's given you intersect with the needs of his church and the advancement of his mission? That's the place that you get to see beautiful things happen. So over the course of the next few weeks, I want us to not just know more about spiritual gifts. I want us to seek God that we would participate in his mission for the building up of his body, that we would find our place, that we would take responsibility to serve and minister and steward the time, talent, and treasure that God's given us, not as owners, but as stewards. Will you guys stand with me? Let's bow our heads for just a moment together and pray. Father, there's so many things I want to ask for in this moment. Um, First of all, would you please deliver us from the terrible pull towards the church becoming a crowd? God, I'm reminded of Jesus' relationship with crowds in the New Testament and how often the crowds didn't see him and didn't engage him on his own terms. And I pray that we would not be a crowd, but that we would be a part of your bride, that we would be a part of your body, that we would be a real church. God, I pray that you would give us simultaneously the confidence and assurance that if we've trusted in Jesus, the spirit of God dwells inside of us. That every single Sunday, whether we feel excitement, passion, zeal, or we feel nothing, we can expect you to be here and to move. God, may we not be driven by our feelings. May we be confident that you're among us. And at the very same time, would you give us more hunger for you? Hunger for your gifts, hunger for more repentance, for more faith, for more revival and renewal. God, places where we've let past experience cause us to set down the gifts that you've given us, would you lead us into a season of fanning into flame the gifts that you've given? God, I want to see I want to see more administration and more mercy and more prophetic ministry and more gifts of healings and more gifts of tongues and more of all of the gifts that we read about in the Bible being distributed. Lord, would you do that in the life of your church because we so badly need you? And God, I just pray, um, I pray against the lie that we can follow Jesus with the Bible and not the Holy Spirit. God, may we love your word and sit under your word and may we, like Jesus, be empowered by your spirit. So would you shape this church in the ways that you want it to be shaped? And I again confess it's not our church, it's your church. It's your church. Do whatever you want to do here. God, if it gives you the most glory to shut it down, shut it down. 
if it gives you more glory to bring revival, bring revival. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we thank you so much that true spirituality is not some designer thing we create. It's not something that we manage. It's not found in the world. True spirituality is to love and obey Jesus. So would you help us to confess with the early church as we eat this meal, Jesus is Lord.